So as I mentioned before, we'll be in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 18. And the title of today's message is, How is Your Hearing? I, uh, did you catch that? Okay, you heard me. How's your hearing? And uh, I was going to uh, entitle this, What Kind of Dirt Are You? But... I think I might have actually used that title before. I've preached on the parable of the soils probably two, three, maybe even four times uh, in the seven years I've been here. Uh, It's not the same message, but it seems like God just calls me back to this passage or these passages because it's repeated in different gospels. Um, But there's a reason it is so, so important. We're reading out out of Luke today, but in Mark... When the disciples come to ask Jesus, say, Jesus, what did this whole parable mean? He says, if you don't get this parable, how are you going to understand any of the parables? In other words, of all the parables Jesus told, this one is foundational to understanding. If we don't get what God is saying right here, right now in this place, we're very likely to misunderstand many other of Jesus' parables. So uh, we're going to be looking at this, what is known as the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. Uh, We're going to be reading it in a short parable that follows it, and um, we will come back to the question, how is your hearing? I want to ask if you would stand with me now in honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 4. And when a great multitude had gathered, they came to him from every city. He spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell along the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is given as parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones who fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life. And they bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. No one, when he is little lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed. But he sets it on a lampstand so that those who may enter see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear. 
For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. Let us pray. God in heaven, we pray that you would take these words of your son Jesus and that you would open them up to us. God, and we would receive uh, the fullness, uh, the completeness of everything that you have for us. So we would understand how important it is that we receive the seed of your word. Not only that we would know it in an intellectual way, but God, that we would live it out in an experiential way. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So, Jesus told a parable. What's a parable? Years ago, I learned um, coming up in church that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Uh, that's what I heard my preacher say, and, and it works. Pretty, it's a pretty good description, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. In other words, this is an everyday, ordinary story that Jesus told that everybody could relate to. It's like if I get up here and I start a sermon and I say, last week I went down to Walmart and y'all, y'all would all sigh with me because we, we would feel it, you know, the, the oppression coming on us as we enter into those doors. Well, Jesus starts this story about a sower or what we would call a farmer spreading his seed. And, and they didn't have tractors. They didn't even have a little tiller to go out there and plow straight rows. They, they simply, they could try to, um, to pull up the, to, to get up the dirt and get it all tender and everything. But, but they simply did the best they could. And then they would grab out the, the bag of seed that would go around their arm and they would throw it and spread it out. And so he, he gives this image and everybody listening to him immediately understands that's, that's what you do. If you want to eat, you're going to go out and sow seed. You're going to spread it out there so that hopefully a harvest, a crop, will come in and you can eat one day. And so he tells this story, and everyone says, yeah, they all identify with it. And he talks about what happens when you go out and you plant seed this way. First of all, as you throw it out, there's some that's going to fall into the pathway where the farmer walks because he's got to have paths to his fields to walk on. And these pathways have become hardened. And that seed that lands there, uh, it, it gets trampled because people are walking through the path and birds come along and pick up the seed and eat it. And it never penetrates the soil at all. There, there's no life. There's no growth. And then there's a second type of seed Jesus talks about. He says, this seed actually penetrates the surface uh, of the earth. It actually germinates. It begins to grow. In fact, it springs up better and quicker than many of the other seeds. Because the problem is when it germinates and the, the, the soil, it, it starts to sink its roots down in, it hits a rocky layer that may have not been seen, but it's right under the surface a couple of inches and it hits that and it cannot go any further. Its root system has not developed. And so while on top it looks great above the surface, it's shooting up, it's growing, everything looks awesome. But all of a sudden, because its root system cannot reach the moisture and the nutrients that it needs, all of a sudden it fades away. This what was so promising looking, now it's gone. Then there's a third kind of seed that he talks about. And this kind of seed is one that it, it falls in the ground that's really even better than that second type. 
So we're getting progressively better from just the pathway that nothing sinks in to the rocky soil that sinks in and can't get its moisture. Well, here's, here's soil that's not even rocky. And the roots can grow, grow deep. And, and it, gets, it can get all the nutrients that it needs except for the fact that somebody has also sown in along with the good seeds, somebody has sown in some weeds. And these weeds begin to grow up and they compete for the sunlight, they compete for the moisture, they compete for the nutrients. And because these weeds are surrounding this plant, it grows up and it might produce a little something, you know, but it never really reaches full maturity. It never brings the kind of crop that it should bring. And then fourth and final, there's that seed that lands in the very best soil. This soil is free of weeds. Somebody has sent their children out and said, weed that row, boy. And he's been out there and he's pulled up those weeds and there's nothing. They've watered this garden. The weeds have been picked and pulled. And there's nothing that is stopping this plant from growing up. And it grows and it produces tremendous fruit. Whatever your favorite fruit is, if you're thinking about, oh, I wish I could have a fresh off the vine tomato or whatever it is that you like, the harvest, whether it's nuts or vegetables or fruits, it just produces a, a, a bumper crop full of those good things. Now, we can all imagine this. And they could too. Same thing back then. Nothing has changed. We've upgraded and got a little smarter about our farming But the same basic principles apply. And uh, the disciples come to Jesus and say, well, Jesus, that was a really good lesson uh, in agriculture. We appreciate that. We we think that's a good story and everything. Um, Maybe not anything new, though, to us. Was there something more there? Did, Did we miss something besides the lesson in gardening that our parents told us a long time ago? And he says, oh, yeah. He said, I've told this story in such a way that some people, all they're ever going to get is the gardening part of it. But the people who really want to understand more, those of you who seek after and you're coming and you're asking me and you're trying to know more, I'm going to reveal to you the meaning of this and it's going to make an amazing difference in your life. He says, the first kind of soil is the person who the seed of God's word has been planted in their heart. This is not a person who's never heard about God. This is a person who's heard the message of Jesus Christ, the fact that he died on a cross and took on the sin of the world, the one who was sinless. He knew no sin, the Bible said, became sin for us on the cross. He took on our sins, our failures, our flaws. He died for us. They have heard that message that if we believe in him, we trust in him for his forgiveness and salvation, that we can be reconciled to God and have eternal life. They heard that message, and yet their hearts, which is what the soil represents, their hearts were so hardened that the message just sat on top of their heart. It never sunk in, and before you know it, it was trampled on Or birds came in and pecked it off. In other words, Jesus said, Satan never allowed it. He snatched it away. Their hearts were hard, 
And before long, the message was gone. It was forgotten. They went on to thinking about the next big thing in their life. Now, let me tell you this. Uh, Bible commentators are in universal agreement that this person is a lost person. This person is a person who doesn't know Jesus. Unfortunately, there's a lot of confusion about soils 2, 3, and 4, though. Jesus goes on to the next um, soil. It's the rocky soil. It's the soil that, remember, it goes in, it begins to grow, it, uh, and then there's some life there, there's some growth there, but then it fizzles out, it fades away, because there was never really an opportunity for the roots to grow deep. The connection was not really there. And Jesus said, these are the people, they hear the word with gladness, and they, they receive it with joy. They're excited. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus died for me. And they're fired up about it. And then he says, and they go on believing, and they go on doing great until some kind of tribulation, some kind of trial comes along. And all of a sudden, because their faith is not deep enough, it might be some, that they haven't heard enough, but it's, I don't think it's really so much about knowledge of the Bible. It's just that their connection with God has never gotten deep enough. Their root system in the Word of God is not strong enough to withstand uh, this um, attack that's come against them. Now, here's where people start to, degree, to disagree about the meaning because you'll find a lot of uh, Bible teachers and preachers who'll say, oh, yeah, these people were the fake Christians. They were the ones that, you know, they believed for a while, but then they didn't. So, you know, it was obviously fake in the first place. Because their theology does not allow for a Christian who goes astray. That breaks their whole system and because their system doesn't fit into the Word of God, they have to kind of change the way they see the Word of God. And so they're like, oh, this proves that they were not Christians really in the first place. But that's not what Jesus said at all. In fact, he only said that one person was not a believer, and that was that first type of soil. Remember what he says? He says, that the devil comes along and snatches that seed so they cannot believe and be saved. So if they believe, they are saved. And soils number two, three, and four believe. In fact, the same terminology uh, is used in describing those last three soils. You will read the words sprang up, sprang up, sprang up. In other words, there was life. A new birth had began in that person. They had received the message of God, and they began to grow. But in soil number two, the rocky soil, that growth completely dies. This is the person that quits believing. Mississippi State fans... Don't even have to say any more, do I? Ole Miss fans. <laughs> but Mississippi State fans, we are specifically encouraged at a certain point in every game, don't stop believing. Because the reality is that it's very easy to stop believing when things look bad. I'm sitting here thinking, give me a reason to believe, State. I want to believe, but you're not giving me a reason, okay? 
The same is true in the spiritual life. There are discouragements, there are heartaches and heartbreaks that, that come into every believer's life. And if we are not de- deeply connected to the Word of God, it is possible for us not only to get discouraged, not only to be in disappointment and despair, but to go so far as we quit believing in the faith. And most of you have some point either met or read about somebody who says, yeah, I used to be a Christian, but now I'm an atheist. I don't buy that. I don't believe that anymore. Or I used to be a Christian, but now I'm a Muslim. I used to be a Christian, now I'm a Hindu. Whatever. And it is entirely possible. Jesus never says, if you believe once, you'll always believe. In fact, he specifically tells this story. And this is just what I was talking about uh, earlier when I preached a week or two ago about, about Hebrews and how we're to encourage one another and lift one another because there's this danger of getting away from God. It's the same thing Jesus is saying here. All of us, we are in danger if we get unconnected from God and from his word and from his people. We're in danger of drifting away. How many of us have friends or family, if you try to ask them about Jesus, they, they might not say, you know, well, um, I, you know, I'm an atheist. They might not go that far, but they'll say, yeah, I, um, I, I did that when I was a kid. By did that, they mean walk an aisle, or they mean they got baptized. or they. And if you dig a little further, yes, I believe in Jesus, but they've gotten further and further away from the Lord and his people, and it is reflected in their lives because they have lost the connection. So inevitably, uh, they get further away from God. That's not a judgmental saying. That's just a fact of life that Jesus is pointing out here. So there's people who never believe. There's people who start off believing Man, they are really excited. It's the real deal. They believe it. They're pumped. They're praise God, hallelujah, I'm saved. And yet when the time of trial comes, they get away. Then we come to, uh, to the third soil. The third soil is the soil that is not rocky. There's plenty of time for the roots to go down and to get deep. These are Christians that, man, they read their Bible. These people love Jesus. If you ask them, do you love Jesus? They'd say, yeah, I love Jesus. I go to church. I read my Bible. I try to live by God's commands. They really and truly mean that. They are not atheists. They are not unbelievers. They people who love Jesus and want to serve him, and they're the people that fill the pews of churches every single Sunday. The vast majority of Christians in this world fall into this third category. Because while they're sinking their roots into God's Word by reading their Bible and praying and going to church and to Sunday school, and maybe they go to some extra retreats or extra Bible studies, they're doing all the stuff that they should be doing to get close to God. And yet... Their life is not as productive. It is not as their relationship to God is not as strong as it should be because their soil has not been tended. Nobody has gone out and weeded their garden. And so, along with the spiritual growth, 
the weeds are springing up. The Bible says the weeds sprang up along with this. There is an equal amount of growth. There's spiritual growth, but there's weed growth. And the weed just surrounds and denies the sunlight and denies some of the strength. And what are these weeds that Jesus is talking about? We have a tendency to think, oh, that must be horrible, terrible, really bad, sinful things. This is like uh, murder or adultery or pornography or, you know, cheating people. Or That's not even what Jesus talks about. <laughs> Obviously, all those things are bad for your spiritual growth. But he gives three classes of weeds that he describes. If you look back to um, verse 14 of Luke 8. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. I want you to understand that this does, this does not say that they don't have any fruit. They do produce some real spiritual growth, but it doesn't come to maturity. Now think about the difference between an immature and a mature fruit. I read uh, the other day uh, an article about colors, and it said, you know, we assign colors uh, to be a certain thing. And there was this big um, argument over what color is a tennis ball. And they, they surveyed the general public, and half of the public, you know, some of them, half of them said, it's green, of course. And the other half said, it's yellow, of course. And they were both like, what are you talking about? Don't you know? And it was almost split between the population. They couldn't agree. And it said, think about a banana. If I say, what color is a banana? You will say, yellow. But you know what? A banana starts off green and it ends up black. It, it, it has all three of those colors. But we say, what color is a banana? Yellow. Why? Well, we've chosen that that's the way we like it, most of us. Some of you people like it black. You're weird, okay? But most of us like yellow bananas, okay? I grew up with a, um, I've told you before, we had a pecan orchard. And, um, but we also had all sorts of other. We had some apple trees, pear trees, muscadine vines. We had all kinds of things. Um, on this old place that used to be a, a big dairy farm. And um, one of the things uh, we had was a persimmon tree, which uh, that's an oriental fruit. Now, again, if you ask what color is that, well, when it's mature, it, it's kind of a orangish kind of color and it's just soft fruit. And um, I couldn't much tell you how it tastes because I just never got into it. I was just, eh. Uh, I just know if you step on them with your bare feet and you're running and playing in the yard, it feels really squishy and you worry about what you stepped in. You're like, oh, okay, it's a persimmon. But they are a totally different fruit when they are small. If you get a hold of a small persimmon that has not yet ripened, let me tell you, I don't care if you think you can withstand uh, crybabies or any of the sourest things you have ever tasted. Do not put one of these baby persimmons in your mouth because they are so sour and they are so hard. I found 
uh, that whenever we'd get fussed at for having BB gun wars, we said, okay, mom, we'll be more safe, and we decided to use uh, slingshot wars instead. Those baby persimmons, they fly even better than pecans do because pecans kind of go off, but they're nice and round, and they're, they're hard. Now, here's the point. We used to have, there's a lot of, um, I told you it's an oriental fruit, and um, we used to have, uh, there's a pretty big uh, population of, of Asians on the coast, and we had our tree kind of away from the road, but my uncle's tree was right by the road, and he would always have to go fuss because there was people that would be like, oh, a persimmon, and it's kind of like, must be free, apparently. So they'd walk over, they'd pull up, and they'd grab, start picking some persimmons and just taking them. And, you know, my uncle would get flustered, and he'd have to go try to chase people off or whatever. Um, but let me tell you, I never saw any of them go grab one of those green persimmons. They never did that. They went for the good, ripe ones. So this kind of Christian, I'm not saying that you never do anything good, that you never produce fruit, but the Bible is saying it never reaches the maturity. In other words, the potential that God has given you in your life is never reached because it's choked out by these weeds. And let's go back to what these weeds are. There are three things here. Cares, riches, and pleasures of life. Number one, cares. That's worries. That is anything and everything you are worried about. Your grade on your next test the result of your health test, what your kids are doing, your relationship with your spouse or your grandkids or what's going on with the boss or anything and everything, whatever you worriers are worrying about and you know who you are, whatever you're worried about, God says, look, Bible, the Bible tells us, and, and Peter, cast all your cares on him for he careth for you. We were never intended to bear the burden of these cares and worries. We all have them. I tease some of you about being warriors, but we all do it to some degree. But God says that's natural. You have cares. You have worries in your life. But if you hold on to them, even though they don't seem sinful, and even though we can, you know, change the word, we like, we know worry is a sin. So we like, I have concerns. You know, <laughs> we don't want to say that we're worried. I have concerns. And we hold on to those concerns. That is choking the life out of your spiritual growth. God said, give those things to me. Number two, cares, riches. This is money problems. Wow. You know, uh, years ago, I read the statistic, the number one thing that, uh, that causes marriages to break up, it's not infidelity, it's not lying, it's not a, all these other things that can happen, it's money problems. Because guess what? All of us deal with money. All of us have to. It's not like we can say, you know, there's some sins we, could, we can just avoid just by simply saying, I'm going to you know, not even touch that thing. Like, like if you choose to say, hey, I'm afraid, I, I know I might have a, a drinking problem. Maybe people in my family have problems with alcohol. So I'm just going to stay away from it completely. And you can do that. Just say, I'm just not going to be a drinker, okay? You can't just say, well, I'm going to avoid having spiritual issues with money by staying away from money. It's really not possible. And so the thing is, we have to learn how to deal with money. Jesus said, where your treasures are, there will your heart be also. 
In other words, what am I doing with what God is giving me? Where am I building up and investing? Am I investing in the next life? Am I investing in eternity by using my money, my resources to touch people with the love of Jesus Christ? to tell them the message of his goodness, to bless them, to reach out to the poor and to the needy, to encourage people? Or am I using my money to get just a little bit more? Am I caught up in this idea that if, if my boss would just see, if he would really finally get how valuable I am, and if I could just get a little raise, and if I could just pay this off, and then if I could just get comfortable, and, and just get, just get, just get, whatever your thing is, pay off this loan, get rid of the credit card, make more money, get rich quick scheme. If I could just, you don't have to be uh, poor, I mean rich. Some of y'all are like, I don't have to worry about riches. That's not a temptation for me because I ain't got them. Now he's talking about the desire for money and riches, it overwhelming your life. There's a lot of Christian people out there that their life, they do love God, but they just love money just a little bit more. They love God. They come and sing his praises, read his word, but it's all about the almighty dollar. To them. That is really what they serve more than anything else. And we can, doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, middle class, wherever you are, we can all get caught up in being greedy or fretting about money, worrying about it, being consumed with money. Then the last thing here. So again, money isn't evil. It's the love of money. Cares aren't evil. It's holding on to them when we shouldn't. And then pleasures. And we think, oh, this is in the Bible. He's talking about those really immoral, bad things. No, he's talking about the God-given good pleasures of life. Staring at the sunrise or sunset. Enjoying fishing or hunting. Redecorating your house. Having a nice flower garden. Going shopping. Whatever, stamp collecting. <laughs> watching a ball game. Playing of Nintendo. It's like whatever you are, the, the just normal old stuff in this life that you do, and it's not harmful or evil or scandalous or bad. He said, but way too many people take those good things and they make them into gods. They get consumed the, by the wonderful things that I've created and I've allowed man to, to build and create but I'm so caught up in my hobby, in my interest, in my stuff, that I abandon what's really important. And by the way, oftentimes that's not just God. It's also family and other responsibilities. When we get sucked in, a hobby becomes an addiction. But I hate to use that word because what's the problem with addicts? Most of the time they're the last one to see it. Everybody else sees that they're consumed, but the person who's addicted would never use that term of themselves. But you are so wrapped up in whatever your little hobby is that it's choking out your spiritual life. So all those types of folks, and like I said, I believe that to be the vast majority of Christians in this country. They would tell you they love God, love Jesus, serve him but their life is choked out by these things. They produce a little fruit, but it's never ripe. It's never up to the potential of what God created for them for. And the fourth thing is, 
Verse 15, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. They hear the word and they take it in and they focus on it. And anytime something begins to take too much of precedence in their life and they realize I'm, this is dragging me away from my relationship with God, they, say, they are relentless about weeding these things out of their life. Even if everybody said, oh, that's no problem, it's a good thing, it's not evil, they realize it's become evil to them because it is choking out and crowding out their relationship with God. And it says they take the word and with endurance... They hold on to it. And it says these folks who are relentless about constantly digging deep, letting their roots grow in the soil of God's word, taking in all they can of God and making sure to get rid of the things that that, uh, are, are tempting them or are threatening to choke out God. These are the people that make a difference. And the fruit is multiplied. Now, why did I entitle this message, How Do You Hear? Let's get to these final three verses. I want to read them again. No one, when he is little lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand, that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed... How you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. This week, unless you have been living under a rock, almost everything that you've seen thrown at you this week from the media has been about the Kavanaugh nomination for the Supreme Court And what's going on with that whole thing? And our country is deeply divided over that. And I'm not going to get into the politics of that right now. You know, I I, I can say, I mean, we we can hold two truths at the same time. um, And we, we should equally hold the truth that we should listen to anyone who who uh, believes they have gone through a, a, a traumatic event, but also We still believe in innocent until proven guilty. We should not unnecessarily smear uh, a man's good name. But getting away from that, I think the one thing that everybody could agree on, whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, I think we could all agree on the fact that we would just hate for our lives to be put under a spotlight under a microscope, the way we have seen this past week. I mean, can you imagine that thousands, perhaps millions of people are digging into your background, talking to everyone you ever knew, not just the nice people, the friendly people, but the people who couldn't stand you, who hated you, And they're digging up for any kind of dirt they could find on you. That thought is terrifying. 
if you are in your right mind, if you are honest with yourself, no matter how good, clean, perfect, pure life you think you've tried to live, if somebody looked deep enough and hard enough, they could find something about you that would deeply embarrass you if it was to be known by everyone. But now imagine that a day is coming in which that exact thing is going to happen to you, but only infinitely greater. Because this will not be based on hearsay, on the frailty of human memory. In fact, every deed ever recorded, everything that ever happened in your life will come back in perfect detail. And not only that, the scariest thing of all, not just what you did on the outside, but what you thought on the inside, the motives between all the choices you made, even the things you did and other people said, oh, they're so nice and good, and you did them out of pettiness or out of selfishness, out of a desire to look good. Every single motive, along with every single deed, being examined. God says... Just like you don't light a flashlight and stick it in your pocket, of course you pull it out and you use it to light the way. God said there's a spotlight going to come on your life one day. It's what in the Bible is referred to as the judgment seat of Christ. This is not the other judgment that's looking at people that those who are unbelievers come to and God says, I never knew you. This is the judgment or the evaluation where every single person who has ever believed in Jesus Christ stands before him. And God is not looking, quote, so much as their sins. He's looking at their productiveness for him. How did you live as my servant? What did you do to build my kingdom? And we will all stand, the Bible says, before the judgment seat of Christ. And God will look at our works and our deeds, our thoughts, whether good or evil, and he'll evaluate each and every one of us in that time. And what does Jesus say in light of the fact that that day is coming? Not maybe, not might be, but is definitely coming. How in the world could you prepare for that day? Jesus has an answer. In verse 18, take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken away. Take heed how you hear. The message of the gospel, the seed of God's word, is constantly going out through devotionals, through sermons, through all sorts of things. There's nothing wrong with the seed. There might be bad preachers, boring preachers, but the seed itself, the word of God, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. But what might be defective might be your hearing. Take heed how you hear. Do you actually listen? How many of us have mastered the fine art? Wah, 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 wah. Did you hear me? Yes, honey. Yes, honey. We've learned to approximate hearing. 
We've learned when listening to someone who's carrying on and on and on, our mind starts going in another direction. And we're not, have you ever been there? You're nodding along like I'm tracking with you. And in your mind, you're thinking about the ball game or anything else. And all of a sudden, you freak out because you're like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what they said the last two minutes. And you try to get back in and understand. We need to pay attention how we listen to God. How's your hearing? Spiritually speaking, some of us need to get some hearing aids. Some of us need to listen much better. Because if we keep on listening to God's word and doing what it says, growing deeper in him and weeding out the other influences of our life, Jesus says, you know what? You'll be okay on that day. And again, this is not works to get into heaven. This is for people who are already heaven-bound. This is for believers when God evaluates their faithfulness to him. On that day, he says, if you've heard the word and taken it in and listened to it the way I've called you to, it's going to be all right. But if you've done like so many other believers have done, maybe you're in that first category and you just got fed up you got tired, you got disappointed by hypocrites at the church or, or someone who called themselves a Christian did something bad to you or didn't live up to what, and you just quit believing. That didn't mean you were no longer Jesus' servant. It just means you became a really bad servant. Or maybe you're part of that soil number three that's the vast majority of Christians in this world. And you're like, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. But you have allowed the weeds of this world about your worries, money problems, your hobbies and pleasures, you've allowed those things to choke out the word of God in your life. And I'm going to tell you that that spotlight on your life is going to be very, very uncomfortable. And God says he's going to reward those who've been faithful, but those who have not been faithful they will lose even what they thought they had. They will make it into God's kingdom, but they will come in in grief and sorrow that they did not serve the Lord Jesus Christ with their life. So what kind of soil are you? How's your hearing? I implore you, I urge you to be that fourth type of soil that listens to the word and lives by it. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, God, you've, you've given us your gospel, your good news, and it is the power from you for salvation. But God, so often we don't take advantage of that power that you've given us. In fact, we allow our lives to be filled with junk. And God, I pray right now that you would give all of us in this room, myself included, from the oldest to the youngest in this room, give us a reality check and help us to understand that how we hear how receptive we are to your word is not just important at one point in our life when we say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but it is important our whole lives that we listen to you and live in you continually. 
Father, keep us faithful. Lord, help us to repent of our sins. And Father, help us to let go of those cares of this world, those weeds that are choking out our relationship with you. God, just help us right now to be where we need to be with you. For the one who's turned away from you, God, may they come back to you. For those who've lived a half-hearted, mediocre sort of Christian life, God, may they be renewed in their commitment to listen, to get rid of weeds. For those who are walking right now as faithfully as they can possibly walk, Lord, help them to be humble and understand that there's no guarantee of that happening in the future, but God, they would continually seek you out that they may continue to walk in faithfulness. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.